So on Christmas morning, I was talking to a few people here at church after the service about how uh, the uh, Swedish Christ uh, Christmas traditions of my wife's family emphasize practices and stories about light shining into the darkness, which makes all kinds of sense because in Sweden during the winter, it's dark like all the time, right? And so then this person made the observation that our, that our spiritual metaphors are often connected to our location or our environment. So, um, so light means a lot in the cold, dark winters, right? And, um, and water means a lot for people living in, in dry climates and, and in agricultural societies. And then he said, that that's why here in Los Angeles, our most meaningful spiritual metaphor is an open parking spot. <laughs> or, or was it an open freeway? I mean, either way, like, that's good news, right? Because uh, our way of, of being connected to God and our, our way of being connected to one another, like, it should be grounded in our very real experiences of life. Like, it should be grounded in this world that we live in. This is why the primary festivals or celebrations in the Bible were connected to the harvest or to food or to, in that dry part of the world, water. So in the Gospel of John, we, we learn a lot about Jesus through these Jewish celebrations. So on the Sabbath, we learn about Jesus' healing love. At Passover, we learn about God's liberating justice. And today we come to the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths or Sukkot, which is where we learn, um, where the people are remembering God's life-giving presence as the people traveled through the wilderness, as they traveled through the desert in need of water. So in John 7, 2, we hear, now the Jewish festival of booths or tabernacles was near. So Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea in the south so that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one who wants to be widely known acts in secret. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even Jesus' brothers believed in him. And Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you. But it hates me because I testify against it that its works are evil. And then later, at the festival, Jesus says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, what exactly does Jesus mean by world? Because it seems like he's saying that the world is evil, but earlier in John, we hear that God so loved the world, right? Same word. So is the world good or is the world bad? Should we be a part of this world or should we somehow be disconnected from this world? This is really important because this is about how we live here and now. Will we see that God loves and values this physical world and our physical experiences? Or will we see all of the bad things that are happening in the world and just give up hope that things can be any better? So Dr. Brad Onishi points to World War I 
as this moment when Christianity in the United States takes two separate paths in response to the existential anxiety of a world that is falling apart. Because, I mean, what are we supposed to do when our world sort of just seems to be deteriorating? I mean, maybe we asked a lot of the same questions during the pandemic. Like, what are we supposed to do? And what does our faith even mean in a time like this? So some churches in America during World War I read the Bible and saw, obviously, that the world was almost entirely bad. I mean, the whole world was at war, it seemed. As a result, they looked for an escape hatch by way of making Christianity primarily about going to heaven after we die. And this is sort of a nice option, because even if the world explodes, eh, we're good. Like, heaven is our, our home anyway, right? So, um, so, as a result of that, though, as a result of making sort of our faith about something that's not really here, this is the side of Christianity that becomes best known for what they are against. Because anything that feels unfamiliar or foreign or threatening is seen through the lens of the evil works of the world. So they tended to be anti-science and, and anti-education and anti-LGBTQ rights, and an anti-environmentalist, and an anti-immigrant, and, and even anti-self-care or self-awareness, because the world is evil, and so am I. Except I'm not as bad as you are, because Jesus has rescued me from the world and from myself, right? I, at least that's how, how the story is, is often told. But there was another significant part of American Christianity that read the same Bible and could see what Jesus was doing by talking about the world as a contradiction. Yes, our world is good and beautiful and infinitely valuable. This is what we get at the very beginning of the Bible, and this is what we get all the way through the Bible. But at the same time, the way that our world is often run, the way that we order our world, the people that we prioritize does not always honor the value of our humanity or the value of creation. So in, instead of looking for an easy way out, the majority of churches actually in the United States, like Presbyterians and Lutherans and Episcopalians and Methodists and, and many others, took the route of being more engaged in the world in order to make it a better place. Like if the world's falling apart, we can, we can do something about it. Sort of like, I guess, being an active part of heaven coming to earth, as opposed to sort of us going somewhere else. So, this church has been here in Santa Monica, not this building necessarily, but but this congregation has been here in Santa Monica for almost 150 years. 150 years, which means that we were here through World War I and, and World War II and, and a lot of other things, and that they also had a choice of which path will we take? What, what, how will our faith be connected to what we're experiencing in, in this world? And they chose the path to stay engaged in the world in order to make it a better place for everyone. This means that at the center of 
the faith that has been passed down to us, here at this church at least, is, is this sense that we are here to celebrate the beauty and the goodness of our world. We're here to celebrate and to be able to see all that is good. And at the same time, knowing that the world is by no means perfect, we are here to be agents of hope and peace and life and love. This is why as Christians, and it's confusing, I know, at times for people, but this is why as Christians we talk about the environment and about racial justice and about poverty and inclusion and food scarcity and our physical and mental and spiritual health because it's all connected. It's all connected because this is the world that God loves. This is the world. So, so let's be clear. For us, Christianity, I mean, shoot, I, as much as we want, like, an escape, right? I mean, we want an escape. You're in the middle of a pandemic and the world's falling apart. Just show me, a, like, a fun movie, right? But as much as we want an escape, Christianity is not our escape pod. Christianity is not primarily about going to heaven after we die. Christianity is a movement of God that draws us into the reality and the complexities of our world as it is, here and now, so that we can make a difference. So even though there are powers and people and systems who hate what Jesus is doing, who hate Jesus' wide and inclusive love, he doesn't run away, but instead moves toward the people by going to the festival, by going to Jerusalem. And there on the last day of this celebration that has been celebrating God's provision of water in the wilderness or in the desert, he says out loud, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scriptures have said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. We might say, let anyone who has been driving around in circles for hours come to me. Let anyone who is late for an appointment breathe a sigh of relief as a parking spot opens up right in front of you as you arrive. Can you feel the sense of relief as you receive what you need in that particular moment so that you can be more engaged in this world so that you can be more engaged in what is happening around you? I, I mean, that's just a metaphor. Like, there's no guarantee you're getting a parking spot <laughs> in Los Angeles. But as we are refreshed, rivers of living water flow from us out into the world. Not just from God, but from us. The imagery here comes from the prophet Ezekiel, who, in a symbolic vision, saw water flowing from the temple, from the presence of God, out into the desert. And this water turned into a huge river, and wherever the river traveled, fruit trees began to grow. And the prophet said, their fruit will serve as food, and their leaves will bring healing. And then this mighty river begins to pour out into the Dead Sea, where the salt water becomes fresh water. 
This dead sea begins to be filled with life, with, with fish and all kinds of, of, of other things. And, and the prophet says again, where the river flows, wherever the river flows, everything, everything becomes alive. This is the river of our faith that is meant to fill us and refresh us, but not just for our own good, not just so, so we can be good as the world falls apart, but so that we might be agents of God's love in the world. So, like a river, as we go out from this place today and, and every other day, may we begin to notice that wherever we go, God's goodness and healing and life will begin to spring up all around us. Please pray with me. Jesus, we pray that you would refresh us with your caring presence and embolden us and equip us to be agents of life and love in this complex world that you love so much. Amen.